0: Before we start the show, I just wanted to let you know that the Modern Manhood Podcast has a Patreon page. You can support me in making this podcast and trying to get the guests and trying to get the gear and trying to get some time to actually do the stuff that I do by just throwing in a couple dollars. All you need to do is go to patreon.com slash modernmanpod and then you can put in some money. You can put in two bucks a month. You can put in five bucks a month, whatever less than a cup of coffee in most places, in Starbucks especially, um, you can support this podcast and the stuff that I do here at the Modern Manhood podcast. And hopefully it will bring you some other things too. I am working on some new ventures, working on a website, uh, working on other things that will try to get more news about masculinity and healthy masculinity in Edmonton and outside of it. So go to patreon.com slash modernmanpod. Understanding the many different views of masculinity in the modern world. My name is Herman Vujegas, and this is the Modern Manhood Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Modern Manhood Podcast. I am your host, Herman Vujegas. I'm recording this on June 27th, which in Canada is National Multiculturalism Day. Happy Natural Multiculturalism Day, which is kind of appropriate for this episode. It's the second part of my chat with Elliot Tanti and Michael Vecchio from the High Level Showdown. Now, if you remember, on the first part of the episode, which, by the way, you can find by going to modernmanhood.org or just clicking back one episode on your favorite podcast app. So on that episode, we spoke specifically about politics in Canada and about the struggles that women have through politics, um, and how that also relates to masculinity. On today's show, we go a little bit more personal, and speak directly about Michael and Elliot's background as first-generation Canadians, and how their family households made them unique participants in the line for political commentators, how their dads set them up to be more sensitive and vulnerable males, and how they enjoy each other as male friends. Not only that, we speak to the masculinity and politics of Justin Trudeau and the way some conservatives have pegged liberal masculinity, particularly around the word cuck. So get ready for that and a lot more in my second part of talking to Elliot Tanti and Michael Vecchio from the High Level Showdown. Elliot, you come from Melke's parents, correct? Yeah. Michael, you come from Italian parents. That's correct? right. Both immigrants. That's correct? Right. Um,
1: Mike, I should I should I should note Michael is more of an immigrant than I. Both his parents are are, are from overseas. Only I'm just half. My father is from Malta, but my mom is a third generation Canadian. Awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah. Actually, my whole family is are immigrants. Immigrants. So, yeah. And you were born in Canada. Right? I was born in Canada. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, so um, my well, so both my parents, of course, were born in Italy, and my uncles and aunts and my grandparents. are uh, in Italy, by the way? Southern Italy. Southern. southern Italy. Italy. So the. Uh, it, it, if you know the the shape of Italy as a boot, we are the the toe of the boot. Okay, cool. So in the region of Calabria, um, and uh, so both sides of my family are from the south there, and yeah, we're all they're all immigrants, and so I and my cousins, of course, were born uh, in Canada, so we are Canadian, but uh, you know, our direct. Uh, uh you know our parents and and c- and uh, uncles and aunts are are Italian. Yeah, I'm an immigrant myself. so I mm-hmm. I was born in Chile.
0: I came here um, in 88. Um, so I wanna I'm very curious as to know like if, if your experience was very close to my experiences um, as an immigrant um, and this is interesting because I just had a conversation with somebody about this. Um, how do you feel life as, as a first generation Canadian? Uh, might be different
2: for somebody who has been here for a long time, especially as a man. Uh, well, you know, I think one of the things I'm most proud of, and part, part of my character is that I have, uh, you know, the European tradition, and that's sort of the, the culture, uh, the language. You know, I, I'm fluent in Italian, and, and, and so when I guess culture encompasses, you know, everything from the arts uh, to cuisine and, and language and everything. And so... Uh, you know, I always was brought up multiculturally. I mean, yes, it was Italian, but you know, I, I guess I, I'm glad to have had the mix of, you know, the Canadian life that I've had, and you know, and I consider myself Canadian. You know, if I wouldn't say I mean I'm a Canadian of Italian descent, but I, you know, if somebody asks me, I am a Canadian. I identify as Canada and its values and as this country. But uh, certainly, was enriched by my cultural upbringing and uh, you know as a male um, there's actually more males in my family than females yeah Uh,
0: so how's life in that family well quite
2: interesting actually in in in, in to further add to that I'm one of the youngest Uh, most of my cousins are are older than me uh, by quite a few years so actually some of my cousins have children of their own now uh, so you know second cousins and on so i, I was the youngest but uh yeah the uh, the male experience i guess um in a european household how do i describe it well it was so oh, yeah. i heard i was
0: listening to the seen <laughs> yeah. and heard podcast and maybe both of you guys can yeah. answer this and uh you know the ask you a question of like how you how can you guys um you know debate each other and then then be friends at the end and <laughs> um and you basically <laughs> met, mentioned how uh, you you both come from a combative household, um, which is different from Canadian values. Yeah. From And I, I experienced this myself, too. Like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you come from a place and you're like, start yelling at each other for some reason. And all of a sudden, at the end, you're like, are you, were you guys mad? Did you guys, are you going to be okay? I'm like, no, this is something we do all the time. Yeah different definitely different from uh a north american experience where people are very very shy very very like don't want to talk about this so how what what's that what's that like tell me a little bit more about that
2: well you know in in terms of my experience like even to you know right to this day i mean i still have i have arguments with my dad all the time and uh it's at times it does sound very heated just like the show uh but uh you know there's nothing really there's no bad blood between my dad and i or any of my other relatives uh so yeah, I, I guess I mean, it, 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 to me, it was something that I grew up with. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't. I never had a thought that oh, that you know, we're, we're arguing against each other and this is bad. It's just it's the way we we spoke to each other and it's the way we conducted ourselves and, but always respectfully, you know, that uh, we have different views and we're getting them out there.
1: I mean, I guess the best story about this, and I'm stealing it from, you know, my family's history boxes. Um, the first time my dad brought my mom home, my dad being Maltese, and uh, my mom being third generation, Icelander, um, home, she removed herself from the family dinner at one point, and my dad found her and, and like, found her crying. And, or maybe it was after the, the, the dinner. And my dad said, why are you crying? She said, well, why is everyone so mad at each other all the time? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we laughing about it now because, you know, some 20 plus years later, my mom is goes with the best of them with the aunties and the uncles in the, in, in the Maltese household. But, <laughs> at, you know, that first experience for a lot of people can be very overwhelming. And it, and it's, and it's funny because I think, you know, as Michael said, there's no hard feelings about it. It's just that, like, we, it's just a very passionate conversation and it's how, it's, you know, if you're not fully emotionally invested, it's almost, it, I don't know, I get this a lot in Michael, Michael, you feel this too. If someone feels emotionally divested from the conversation, then you feel like they don't care. And it's really like, you know, for you to give that to me is something, it shows that you care about this conversation. You care about where I'm coming from. You care about me in a lot of ways too. And I think that that, I'm sure you can speak to this as well, is, is a very meaningful means of dialogue, but canadian people do not get it because we're so normal like canadians that um are so adverse to conflict in a lot of ways talk about this in like communications too it's one of the few worst things you can do if you're uh trying to communicate to canadians is get combative Mm -hmm. because they don't they don't they don't take on the uh they'll shy away a bit yeah they'll shy away or they don't take on the message they're more they're more personally affected by the fact that there's conflict and there is what was being said in that
0: Yeah, I I totally, um, I hear you on that. Um, And also, I guess my question is too, um, when you talk about um, emotions and like, because it is a very emotionally um, invested environment when you, especially when you around the household um, with your, when you both talked about your fathers, um, was there a point where you were able to talk about um, your emotions in a very open manner?
1: You mean with my family or just in general? With your family, or in, even in general. Um, you know, I I always, I, I don't know, I struggled. I, I'm a very emotional person, and so uh, I wear things on my sleeve, uh, and it goes beyond just humor and anger, as our traditional male uh, emotions are. Um, but what was great was... Like I would cry in movies when I was a kid, and I still cry now. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm a sucker for a good love story. But in those sorts of situations, it was always a very supportive place. My my family was always very supportive of that and of that emotional reaction. And I think that that you know was one of the greatest gifts that my parents and uh, you know I and, and, and learned from my dad was was great, very beneficial to me because it meant that. You know it was acceptable to be vulnerable it was acceptable to recognize uh, an emotion other than anger um, when something didn't go well for you and I think that you know that starts from a a place of very intimate support and a very intimate understanding of emotions and that that for me I think was uh, was pretty critical in in me developing uh, some emotional maturity
2: I don't mean to bring him up again, but we started this show off with Donald Trump, you know, and, you know, what kind of toxic masculinity is he uh, promoting, you know, and the machismo of it all. And, uh, you know, certainly while, you know, we just discussed having no heated arguments and being loud and such in the family setting, uh, you know, and I would assume same with Elliot's family and my family, there wasn't, you know, even though we were loud and argumentative, there wasn't that bullying aspect of it right or you know and and and, you know as ellie said it was okay to to be vulnerable it was okay to be emotional it was okay to show compassion and and the 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 question of being a man was never questioned right it's just it's who you are uh and it's about loving you know it's about the family do you think do you guys think that you um
0: you model that after your fathers or is there was there specifically a male mentor that you ever had in your life that you something you modeled from
2: uh, well, yeah, my dad, but uh also like like i said there 's a lot of males in my family, yeah. uh, and uh, my uncles certainly um you know i'm i 'm pretty close to to most of my uncles, one in particular i'm i 'm closer to than others uh you know we share the common bond of music he 's a composer and such. And uh you know, just from an early age, we bonded over you know, and it was a, a love of, of something that we both shared, right that love of music, that love of you know the 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 compositional aspect, that sort of thing and, and my dad uh you know really fostered a love of of discussion and and literature and and questioning. uh you know, I remember as a kid, maybe even being six years old, and my dad reading me the you know the the classics. And uh, you know, I guess some would say, "Oh well, at that age, they're too young, and and you know, maybe they shouldn't be." But no, (laughs) you know, he didn't, right? So here, I'm reading. I, I, you know, I remember reading uh, uh, Alexander Dumas. And the uh, man in the iron mask, you know, at seven, six years old, and, and, and just always having discussions. And so uh, always, I always felt like I was valued as, uh, you know, as a growing person, and I wasn't too young to be having these discussions, you know. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I'm
1: very fortunate to have seen a, a lot of uh, great male role models in my life, from teachers to uh, extended family. But I think it does ultimately come back to my father for me, as always. Um, and. As someone who, my dad is a very genuine person and a very understanding person, and a lot of that time it manifests in in a great sense of humor. But you know, I think what I've learned most about myself and my own manhood and my own masculinities have come from watching him and watching him interact with people, but specifically other males. Uh, My dad was never that macho man and never, never, you know, that dominating figure from a, from a physical perspective, but he had such capacity to listen to people and such capacity, emotional capacity to, to, and still does, has such emotional capacity and to understand when people, something's wrong with a good friend of his. Uh, And he has such a, he's such a great communicator. He has a capacity to, to speak to people about their deepest and, and worst situations and maintain those secrets in such a trustful way that, you know, it's something that, among other things, I've really tried to emulate from him in my own manhood, and as I've grown into a young man and, and a young adult in those sorts of situations.
0: I love these stories about fatherhood. I, I, they're they're one of the things where I'm like, I love my dad too, and uh, and I love hearing when people are are connected to their fathers or somebody that they that they admire in their life and what they take from what they take from them. Um, do you guys think that this gets modeled in your friendship or in friendships with other guys?
1: Oh yeah, I mean Michael comes for dinner like once a month to my <laughs> nice. family, and, and he fits in no problem, right? Like it's no problem. Um, but I think that really, you know, Michael and I do care for each other in in in, in a very intimate way. We're very good friends. And, you know, I don't say this enough because it goes to his head, frankly. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, like, uh, but, you know, he makes me, you know, he builds my capacity and makes me better every week on the show when we talk about politics. Um, But he makes me a better man just because I get to spend time with him every week. And that's really important. And I think that uh, being able to say that about um, another man is something that, you know, there's a comfort
2: there. And uh, that's built out of Michael himself. That's awesome. Well, I'm I'm very very touched, and you know I mean well, how can I build on that? But you know I I really you know I feel the same. Obviously, we're, we're more than friends. You know we're we're very good friends, and uh, you know I think the obviously the familial backgrounds that we have sort of have joined us together in that way. But uh, you know we've built you know I I guess the cliche term is brotherhood. Maybe we won't go that far, but but we're you know we're very close, and and I well, think yeah that's because fight like brothers, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know having the big uh, the big family, uh, you know, has helped us, uh, you know, to you know to you know, I guess interact with a wide range of people, and and so that's you know if I if I've gained anything from from uh, my familial background is that I've I've just encountered so many different varieties of people of all ages, and uh, so that that's allowed me to be comfortable speaking to people and, and be comfortable in learning new things and. and uh, always looking you know always looking to learn something new that's awesome that's so cool that's so cool that you guys are like this this is amazing um because
0: everyone on your point there do you guys feel that you guys are introverts or extroverts
2: uh i think i'm both yeah quite frankly um you know generally i've been told and you know and i agree that i can be reserved uh a lot of the times uh, uh, you know, and I can be extroverted when I have to be, you know, I'm not a party animal you know, uh, like Elliot is. <laughs> um, but, you know, if I have to be rowdy, I guess I'll get rowdy. You know, generally, I would characterize myself as a more <laughs> sedate reserved person but uh you know as as is evidenced on the show when something that we feel passionate about or i feel passionate about you know we i, I you know we get riled up and uh, and have our our voices heard uh you know and i so i it's great when you guys get riled up actually i think it's like it's super cool when yeah almost,
0: when i hear that passion come from you guys yeah
2: yeah so you know in my case i mean i would say i'm i am more um uh, you know introverted but at the same time you know i'm very i very comfortable socially, certainly, you know, and uh, politics has helped with that. You know, Elliot and I have both worked on campaigns, you know, and so if you're really introverted, you wouldn't feel comfortable knocking on people's doors and campaigning or canvassing by phone and having the phone, you know, slammed on you and, you know, calling you a hack or whatever that is. Right. So, (laughs) you know, you have to have tough skin that way, too. So uh, politics, you know, has helped me become more extroverted you know i've been involved in certain clubs this uh, on campus and uh and even this show you know helps me be more extroverted so i would say i'm i'm a mix of both and uh so i'm glad that politics and the show and other endeavors can help me be get out of my shell more
1: yeah i i don't think it's a dichotomy i think it, you're a mix of both and some days i feel more like an introvert and some days more like an extrovert um you know, I think generally speaking, I, I do like to be out there and, and, and center of attention and in front of people and talking to people and I enjoy uh, I enjoy parties quite a bit as Michael says. Uh, <laughs> so he wasn't wrong. Um, I'll note that Michael is usually at the party too, having just Whoa. as good a time. So there you go. <laughs> um, but you know, ultimately, like I think, I think you know, it's an important question and it's and it's something that that I think about often. Um. I do think that there are times when being an extrovert becomes a chore and trying to be extroverted becomes a chore and it and it can certainly have a negative impact and that's when that's when I you know generally check myself and say like look I need to spend some time with myself and inside of myself or or listening to the modern man podcast mm-hmm. um <laughs> or whatever you know whatever time sink it is that I can spend and just be alone um and to allow for that you know balance to kick back in because you know, it's it is a balance, and it's something that uh, when you get when you get out of sorts, it's one of the easiest ways to kind of tell what's going on and and where you spent one too much time one way or another.
0: Yeah, the reason I asked this question specifically to this um, the topic um, that you guys are invested in, um, do you feel that there is room for introversion in politics?
1: Oh, good, good, good question. Ultimately, I think yes. I think it's an important thing to be able to sit down and and and. and evaluate things on your own from your own ideology and your own personal background. But unless you are in front of a camera, unless you are willing to comment, unless you're willing to stand up in the house of Commons and be seen and be heard, you cannot garner the attention that you need to keep your seat. That goes 10 times. If you're looking to be elected, you know, there's guys that were, that were running for just the nomination period in the last federal election that for just for the, had to run two years get their name out there and meet enough people just so they could win the liberal nomination or we saw janice Irwin, for example in michael's writing two years she spent basically going to everything being at every event and that you can't do that necessarily as someone who is primarily introverted at least i you know i i don't i don't see it as such um and so as a politician i think it's very difficult but you can certainly make a name for yourself as a policy hack, as someone who understands government, who understands policy, as a lawyer in government, and not have to be in front of the camera or be the the life of the party all the time as someone. So, so you know whether you're talking about a politician or someone who's working in politics, there's a bit of a different question there.
2: Uh, no, I mean I think Elliot says it uh, perfectly. I mean obviously in our age, you know of course the media age and everything. If you want to be a successful uh, you know, elected official, you have to be in front of some sort of camera or some sort of platform and you have to speak. But, uh, you know, as Elliot said, there's lots of opportunities for those who maybe are a little bit shyer to still find success. So and also, I just want to add, you know, there's a lot of you know, cases of politicians who, uh, who are even awkward in front of, of cameras and, you know, who are not the most you know, um, I don't know if camera friendly. Anything, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and you know, a great example actually is, uh, Stéphane Dion, who is a, a wonderful politician, actually a very, a, a great mind, but, you know, uh, he doesn't have the, the charisma of Justin Trudeau, of, of Jack Layden, of, of, of any of these people. I mean, even Stephen Harper with how many times has he criticized for being a robotic, uh, an emotional man. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so, but, you know, there's elements of that, but, uh, You know, to give credit to Stephane Dion, Stephen Harper, they're not comfortable, but they they did it anyway, right? Yeah, they knew they 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 had to happen. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. And I would also add that a part of that I think is Stephane Dion in English. We only see him really in English. There's a difference between Stephane Dion in English and in French, and that's something to think about in Canadian politics as well.
0: For sure i send this back to because like oh you're right you have to be in front of the camera you have to be a little bit uh a little bit more eloquent a little bit more like composed a little bit sure of yourself and i think politics has a lot to do with that um and it's interesting because i tie back this into like how um male-centric polit- politics are and so i'm like i'm just i'm doing like, a little scientific theories like does male-centric mean do you have to be extroverted
1: yeah, I mean it's it's tough. I think that they're opposite things. Like, I do think that you know part of the reason why politics is male centric, and I think mostly male centric, has been, is is a historical argument. But it's been historically a male dominated, uh, you know, endeavor. And to suggest that you know men are, I, I guess the suggestion is that it's an expectation in the men that they're more extroverted. Um, I guess you know. I think that that makes sense and I think that you know that, that you can draw that conclusion. What I would say is that I think some of the best politicians in history and the ones that have done the most for Canada or, or any country for that matter have been those that have away, shied away from the spotlight and been more interested in just making people's lives better ultimately and who have struggled with seeing themselves on camera or being heard on the radio or dealing with those things uh, because ultimately they just saw a way to make – some healthcare, military, whatever it is, government in general, just better. And I think that that's an important piece. But I think you make a really strong, compelling argument, one that I really haven't thought of. <laughs>
2: yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I just want to know, provide an example uh, of that because um, Elliot mentioned healthcare, and Lester B. Pearson, is my favorite prime minister. I, I must have said it on the show maybe once or twice. <laughs> uh, Elliot, I don't know, he doesn't <laughs> remember. Anyway... <laughs> You know, the guy has... Lester Pearson uh, was had a lisp and uh, was an eccentric, you know, with the comb over and the bow tie. And certainly, you know, I think he's an example of a guy who, who moved forward with... With governing for the good of you know what he was trying to put forward and all the stuff that we saw under his watch, healthcare and the pensions act and the uh, Canada flag in 1965. But you know, as a, as a person in the public eye, you know, kind of kind of an oddball. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. No, that's that. That gives me that gives me a little hope, <laughs> to yeah. be honest, because um, it does it does feel from the outside of that you have to be this like charm. Like it feels nowadays that like someone like Justin Trudeau is like the perfect 2017 candidate because he is like one of those people that is so like outside of it just like looks like he's just there but like you peer a little bit into it you're like oh there's the, there's the faults there's the little cracks there's the yeah, problems yeah. right um but from the outside he's just this kind of
2: That's why I find and Elliot could probably be able to speak more on this, because his favorite prime minister is is his father, Pierre Trudeau. Yeah, okay. And that is such a great example of mastering both. Uh, you know, doing something uh, for the good of the country and knowing what you're doing. You know, obviously he was a great intellect, but he also was that populist too, and was comfortable in front of the camera doing the pirouettes and fuddle duddle and all that. Uh, So he was such a unique person to master both of those. You know, if he, we talked about the intellect of Pearson, uh, Trudeau had that, and he also had the charm of of Justin, where Justin seems to have inherited the charm, and maybe not, you know, obviously the intellectual background, not as much.
1: Yeah, Justin doesn't have anything on his dad, but his dad is one of the best prime ministers of all time. I do think it's interesting um, that you do kind of have to weigh that we're weighing like intellect with charm. I think that's a halo effect. Yeah, and I think that that's a bit of a false dichotomy as well too, right? And I think that that's – and I really do honestly believe that that's a Western political belief, and that comes from eight years of a president who was incredibly uh, well-spoken and full of charm and full of humor and was incredibly smart in Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. And we watched that unfold, and he kind of set a new bar and a new standard for what the expectations are. And now you're getting – eccentric very egotistical people and you're getting very smart you know policy driven people pushed away and and you're not you haven't we haven't really found that balance yet and i'm not sure that justin trudeau is all is is all that bad from a intellectual perspective he certainly surrounded himself with a great team which is one of the first things you do right for sure um but i do think it is I, i don't i think it is a false dichotomy to to relate intellect and one's ability to charm i think that you need Capacity in both in politics to be successful, not only to just use your political capital that you've gained through an election effectively to make effective policy changes, but to make sure that those policy changes actually are make significant improvements, and not don't don't take us back twenty years like yeah. mandatory minimums might or something like that. <laughs> you both you both
0: uh, are young males, um, twenty seven, correct? How old are you, Michael? Twenty four. 24. Okay. I'm 37, so I'm, I'm like, 10 years young. You don't look a
1: day over 29.
0: (laughs) Appreciate that. Thank you. Um, As young males, do you feel that there is um, a shift towards less of this um, stereotypical manhood? Um, Do you see in, like, your fellow classmates or your fellow people that you're like, no, there's now less of an expectation of being this provider of looking a certain way or being a certain way. Do you think that there's a change here?
1: Absolutely. But I think that's a feature of who I spend my time with. Um, and I think that that is an important feature to this as well. Yes, I do think that expectations around being a provider, or only having two emotions or, um, you know, any of the other toxic masculinities that come around. So being sexually driven, you know, are, are, are starting to dissipate uh, in very, in very, good ways but I do think there's been a bit of a backlash to that as well yeah. we see it a lot in politics not only with the election of Donald Trump but I, I know one of your favorite questions is asked like have you ever been has anyone ever challenged your masculinities yeah. um, and you know I played sports and went to high school so of course but what I've noticed now talking about politics and you know our, our, our podcast is on the internet when I tweet I talk about politics one of the things I've seen is this development of like uh, an attack of one's manhood based on their liberal beliefs or the, or their left leaning beliefs, and I think that's uh, that's something that's you know you know everyone's I, I've been called a cock very publicly and very privately, uh, you know in direct messages too, and uh, you know randomly by random trolls and people who are. You know, have no problem showing their face and using terminology like that. And I guess if your listeners don't know, it's a reference to being a cuckold, or yeah, it's uh, a um,
0: sexual fetish of a of a what is it like? You you watching someone else like sleep with your wife, or something exactly. Like
1: that. Yeah. And it was co- it turned it, it got turned into a cuck uh when people down south were were never Trumpers were talking about how they didn't want to um, support Trump uh, as conservatives, and you know this alt right faction of people would come forward and. And I think that we're seeing, you know, this rise of toxic masculinity, especially on the right, especially in the alt-right, using language and words like that, you know, 4chan-driven and Twitter-based, Twitter-egg-driven, uh, that is, is pushing back on liberal men and liberalism in men. And their, their main tool, their main weapon, their, 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 their missile is the, the word "cock," but the implications of undermining your manhood, which I think is something that is uh, is a feature of this conversation as well.
2: Uh, yeah, in terms of the expectations of being a provider, uh, you know, I, I think of uh, you know my, my grandpa was married at the age of nineteen you know and and my mom was born you know when he was twenty one yeah excuse you know. me with
0: that too, like I had the problem too, and like my parents are just like, "Oh, you guys were married at twenty two eh mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: um, certainly, but you know, and I, but I think that's also just in general a, a societal change in expectations, you know, I mean, obviously, when I was nineteen uh I was in my undergraduate, right? So I had a different set of priorities than, uh, than my, my, my grandpa or any of, you know, people from the past. Uh, uh, so I, I think the, the expectation of being a provider and, you know, being the man and stuff, I think it's just not so much that it's changed, but that it's it's shifted in down the timeline. You know, I think there was the that had to be done sooner. And now we, we've realized that, you know, it can be done later. Uh, and 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 no and and that argument I guess for women, uh, you know, we've seen women having children later on because they want to have their career first, right? Instead of having the kid at twenty or whatever it is, yeah.
0: Yeah, I appreciate both these perspectives. I I want to go back to yours, Elliot, that um because I I I see it I see it sometime and I see it even in places like um the rebel media. Um, or someone like Gavin McInnes, ugh, ugh, um, ugh. I know, and it and it's um <laughs> so he started something called Proud Boys, and Gavin McInnes did, and he is like, I don't know, he he is the person of saying like, oh, we need to take back our masculinity, and it seems like it's a very kind of conservative thing, like a very end conservative thing. Like that spectrum to it. And it's funny because I just, I was just reading this website, I was just reading this article about uh, Last Man Standing and Tim Allen and um, how they, how people were upset that this show was getting canceled and they thought it was because it was a conservative show. Now, the AV Club um, said this article is saying how these man like people were upset because this wasn't, that they're taking away their manly show. But it had nothing to do with manliness in that in that context. But they took it as that context. So it's interesting how masculinity plays into these kind of politics, into these kind of arguments. To a point,
1: interesting. <laughs> I mean, I think like you know a lot of Gavin McInnes and the Rebel Media stuff and the idea of uh, of reasserting gender roles is or male masculinity and, and manhood and expectations of manhood uh, is really just an opp- uh, oppressive device for women, essentially, because the the notion is then the women should be at home, and, and, and it's oppressive. Man. You try and say that to their face, and you, you can only imagine what you get back, but that is how I see it, and that's I think it's trying to not reassert men into a dominant force, and manhood is under attack. Uh, essentially, what they see is these are a bunch of just white conservatives that are intimidated that women are having success, and might actually be smarter than you, and do better than you, and make more money than you, and um so I think that that is a feature of a lot of that talk and a lot of the, the, that, those those conversations. I think beyond that, though, what's what's troubling is that you know places like Rebel Media and commentators like Gavin McInnes have made money and do well because they're, they're, they're the shock value associated with them, and what what they're doing is they're actually making you know men and, and conservatives giggle with what they're saying as inappropriate and those are the sort of jokes and those are the sorts of uh conversations and and the ways that you know women are spoke of or members of different faiths are spoke of, spoken of that we're trying to get rid of that we're trying to clean up that in our political discourse we're, we want to talk about you know how things actually impact people we don't want to allow for inappropriate jokes or or, or remaking of that look, you have, you have a right to free speech and I understand people struggle with, you know, um, PC culture. I, I, I do take issue with some of some of what's come out of this as well, uh, Berkeley being one of them. But ultimately, you know, I don't want, I think it's troublesome when you're encouraging hateful speech uh, as a joke and trying to go back in time to reassert gender roles. And I think that that's where a lot of that comes from.
0: You know, I, I, I end all the interviews that I have with, what the one final question that I always give to you guys. Um, What is something, was there a piece of advice that you took in um, as a man that you really take hold and of importance or something that you wanted to give out to other, to other guys?
2: Uh, Well, I guess for me it would be that, you know, don't feel that you have to fit a specific mold, you know, I mean, the stereotypes of what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? You know, and you have to—if you don't do these things, then you're not manly. You're not wuss. You're a wuss. You know, you're being, uh, uh, you know, a girl, girly girl. And uh, you know, so for me, I mean, I—I I mean, I could share the experience that you know, if, you know, growing up physically, of course, you know, I—I I was always one of the smallest kids, and you know, I'm still really a small man. Um, so you know, I could never you know, be that sort of male. I could never be the athletic big type or the macho guy. So I had to rely on, you know, I guess my mind and uh, and uh, my other talents, my music and my love of art and that sort of thing. So, I mean, I, I, uh, I put myself forward using uh, my intellect. And so I'd say my advice to men is, you know, don't feel that, uh, you know, you have to be pigeonholed into uh, some sort of, bigger societal expectation of course there is pressure to be you know some sort of person i mean i've been lucky i swear i had the support of my family and and good friends and that uh, i was able to be who i was and not feel that i was any less of a man uh for not feeling some sort of expectation so um and i mean i guess it's a cliche be yourself uh but uh, you know that there is there is avenues for you to showcase your who you are and make yourself a unique person and not be you don't want to be that generic man i think mm-hmm. or maybe some do you know i i certainly didn't want to and and uh so i, I yeah that's my advice
1: anything but generic michael yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so i i'm going to share a piece of advice that was given to me uh, about a year and a half ago I, I i have a very good friend of mine who uh lost his his mother quite suddenly very macho man you know we were very close but never really emotionally invested with each other and we'd see each other every time we go for beer drinks blah 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 called me in shock in tears actually and uh it was an awful experience and you know going through the service and things like that and i i have an old drama teacher his name is greg dollar coleman and uh you know a man who himself has raised three uh, unbelievable boys one of which uh I call a very close friend and I told him this story and he he empathized with me in the situation and with this friend and said but ultimately his message was like you know wasn't it awful that it took someone dying for you and this person to share that emotional connection and it shook back he said and I said yeah and he said you know what I did about a year two years ago is you never know what's gonna happen someone can die suddenly You you, you can lose someone very quickly is I got all the men that I knew, my my sons, my dad, uh, you know, their grandparents uh, and grandfathers, you know, my good friends. And I got them all in a room and we opened up three beautiful, nice, expensive bottles of wine and, you know, two six-packs of very expensive beer. And we just talked about our emotions and talked about how much. And I went through and we talked about how much everyone meant to each other and how much they cared about each other. And my suggestion isn't that you get all your buddies sit down and have a nice wine and beer and 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 do that exact sit thing, but from that moment forward, I've taken that advice, and what I've done and I would've tried to do is anytime I have an opportunity one on one with one of my male friends, regardless of our relationship and whether it's a, we have a deep emotional connection or something that you know is just sort of like play video games and hang out, just to tell them that you appreciate them and that you care for them and that you love them and through those conversations I've had. amazing conversations about men's mental health and, and 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 stigmas associated with you know being masculinities and toxic masculinities and i think just just find the people that you care about and that you see often that are that are your male counterparts male identifying counterparts i'll add that and and tell them that you care for them and how much you appreciate their friendship because um it's a, both a gratifying experience for you and you have no idea what it'll do for your friendship. It's absolutely wonderful.
0: Absolutely, Elliot. That's a, an important message and it's, and it's a touching story. And, it, and I also appreciate your your piece of advice, Michael. Um, you know, like, <clears throat> whoever, what kind of man, man you want to be, you're comfortable in your own masculinity or whatever it is. And to be able to talk to, to people in general and just have that conversation before something tragic happens. And I think... Those are two amazing pieces of advice. Um, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate well, it. Oh, thank you so much.
2: Can, thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Where can we find the high level diner? Uh, I mean, high, high level diner. diner. Well, oh no, my God! Awesome. Hold on. Let me, Let me back again. Let me back again. I knew, You know what's funny? I knew I was gonna do this, and I was like, <laughs> anyways.
2: Where can we find the High Level Showdown? Right. Uh, okay. So we are on, of course, we're on Facebook, High Level Showdown. You can find us there. On Twitter at High Level Show, and as we often say at the end of each uh, episode, our individual Twitters: uh, Elliot is at 90, Tanti ninety. T A N T I nine zero. Yeah. T A N T I ninety. Yeah, and
0: I'm at Michael Vecchio two. Michael Vecchio two. Please find them on Twitter. Um, you'll get some awesome information. You also get some awesome. Calling out of people too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and maybe you'll get some some Oilers feed from Elliot. Too. Absolutely. <laughs> always,
1: always always feeding both those Oilers. <laughs>
0: Please check them out. Um they're on they're on G Radio as well, Toon Radio. Um and you can also find them on iTunes. Uh Michael Elliot, thank you so much. I really Thanks appreciate it. Thank you so much. It. This is so much fun.
2: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: Multiculturalism means a lot to me one of the main reasons as to why I consider Canada a home, and why I can also reach back to my roots in Chile. It's confusing sometimes in regards to my identity, but like I said in my Twitter, I would rather live in my confusion than live with assimilation. It also means that I believe we as people must embrace the cultures of others as part of our own Canadian identity. It's interesting to me that I can find people like Elliot and Michael who are from different countries, and who care so deeply about Canada. So much so that they get into general arguments every week about the land they love. Yet we can still say that they are Maltese and Italian, and be proud about that too. By the way, I have to recommend Meredith Bratlin's podcast, Migration Patterns, on which I was a guest talking about specifically this topic, my conflict of identity and the celebration of multiculturalism. You can find Michael and Elliot on Twitter at High Level Showdown, and I will put their personal accounts in the show notes again, uh, which you can find at ModernManhood.org. Also, again, check out the Patreon page at patreon.com slash ModernManPod, and you can find a Modern Manhood podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere you find awesome podcasts. If you want to be a guest on the show, send me a line at ModernManPod on Twitter, on Instagram, or you can find me on Facebook, send me a line there. Or you can send me an email, modernmanhoodpodcast at gmail.com. Have a great week, everyone. Be safe on Canada Day, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Manhood Podcast.